So we're still in Isaiah 6. Um, we did kind of half of it last week, and we'll, we'll try to get the other half done this week. Um, but just, just sort of by way of review, one of the questions that we tried to ask when we came to Isaiah 6, when it, really the first question we asked was, why, why does the book of Isaiah wait until this point to give us what chronologically happened first? Um, so this is the call of Isaiah, and it's, um, you know, sort of the, the kickoff of his ministry. And, you know, um, and, and yet why isn't it in chapter 1? And so we try to address that from a literary perspective. How does this fit in the whole book of Isaiah, and particularly in chapters 1 through 12, where it's kind of the centerpiece of 1 through 12, and, a, and almost like a hinge that holds together the first five uh uh, chapters from chapter 7 through 12. And so that's one answer. The other answer is that sort of thematically, it's also um, it, it's it's also bringing to fruition things that we've already read about in chapters 1 through 5. So there's a sense in which the background of 1 through 5, that context helps us understand chapter 6 and what Isaiah is actually being called to. So a couple of, we could give other answers, but that was the that was one of the fundamental questions we asked. What we looked at last week was really just the beginning. Where, where this takes place, Isaiah is transported into a temple, which was where Uzziah had been um, judged by the Lord. And one of the reasons Uzziah had been judged, in fact, really the reason Uzziah had been judged, was because he was a king and he was trying to act as a priest. And, um, and that's not allowed. You can't cross those boundaries in Israel. And yet here, what we see is that Isaiah has a, a, a vision of a throne, and the Lord's sitting on the throne, and it's in the temple. And so we're beginning to see some of these things that become clearer later on in the Old Testament, and later on in Isaiah, that this, just think about, just think about two passages in Isaiah that you know really well. Isaiah 9, which talks about him as being um, the one who, upon whom the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, right? So he's this kind of ruling figure. Um, and, and then in Isaiah 53, he's this sacrificial lamb. And so those things, Isaiah is going to start to bring those together, but Isaiah sees that in the vision, and it's terrifying to him. The other thing that's terrifying to him, the thing that's especially terrifying to him, is just the holiness of God. The fact that he's confronted with God's majesty and, and what he immediately recognizes is his own sinfulness. He sees even angelic beings. I mean, this is something just amazing to think about. Not only are the angelic beings saying holy, holy, holy all the time. And we talked last week about what holiness means. But even the angelic beings who, who, who minister before the throne of God all the time have to cover their faces they, they don't, they're not even looking at what they're talking about, what they're, what they're declaring. And so Isaiah is, is undone by that, and that's really where we, where we left off in verse 5. I'm a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, uh, the Lord of hosts. And so the question then is, what's going to happen next? Um, typically, when people would have this vision they would be judged. They would die. I mean, Uzziah has like a small scale encounter with the temple, and it and it basically judges him and kills him, eventually. Um, but but Isaiah's right there, 
being taken into the temple. And he knows he's a sinner, and he knows he doesn't belong there. And so the question is, what's going to happen next? So what happens next is in verse 6. And this is, this is so foundational to the theology of Isaiah and to the theology of the Bible. If, if sinners are actually going to be brought into the presence of God, and if they're going to be able to stand at all in proximity to God, um, they have, God has to do something to them. God has to change them. See, the way we do it today is we, um, like even in your, even as you kind of think of your own life and as you talk to other people, typically what we try to do is we try to pretend like the distance isn't there. So, so if someone acknowledges their sin or if we even kind of are confronted with our own sin, we'll, we'll try to find all kinds of ways of saying it's not that bad. We'll look at other people and say, I'm not, I'm not as bad as those people are, so therefore, you know, I'm okay, even if they're not. Or, or we try to diminish God and say something like, well, you know, yeah, that sin is bad, but, um, but you know, God is just so welcoming and kind that he'll, it doesn't really matter. Effectively, it doesn't matter. And, and I, I remember very vividly, actually, when I was first um, converted, where um, I, I, I had there were certain sins that were really weighing on me and I went to someone who's a Christian and he said, well, look, it's not, it's not like nothing bad happened. Like it's not the end of the world. It's not, you know, so what, what was he doing? He was, and I, and I knew it at the time. I knew that this was not the right answer. Um, he was sort of saying, um, it's not a big deal. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of making too much out of, out of very little, but that's actually never the answer the Bible gives whether you look in Isaiah 6 or whether you look in Romans 3. Because the same thing happens, there's the same dynamic at work in both, which is, you know, remember the logic of Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But how, how are we justified? We're justified by the redemption that comes through propitiation in Jesus. That's the language of Romans 3. The appeasement of God's wrath that Christ provides. So in other words, when... When God brings anyone to a knowledge of himself, when God saves anyone, really, not, you know, not sometimes what we might label that, but really, um, it's, it's, he hasn't, he hasn't lowered his bar of justice. He hasn't decided, you know what, I'll be nice today. I'm going to, I'm going to sort of let this one go. That's not what happens actually. The only way that people can have some kind of knowledge of God, union with Christ, uh, well, it's through union with Christ, really. It's, 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 it's because of what Christ has done. It's because God did something out just of his own love and his own mercy. He did something that was, um, that was uh, uh, dealt with the, 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 the punishment. And, and, and notice this in Isaiah 6, because I think this is important. Not only is the punishment dealt with, it's tongs from the altar, uh, the sacrificial altar. So there's that kind of punishment motif. But it's not just that his sin has been punished, but he himself has been changed. And remember, in, in, in our doctrine of salvation, we're saying both. We're saying not just, you know, my debt was paid, um, my punishment was taken. That's no small thing. It's, it's, it's massive, and we could never have done it. But we're also saying, actually, the, the person who's really been saved by God has, has 
in that encounter has been transformed by God. And so in the New Testament, Jesus makes all of this much clearer to us when he talks about being born again by the Spirit. And, and, and the apostles talk about being born again to a living hope. We're, we're, we're not the same. We've been united to Christ in his death and, and we'll be united with Christ in his resurrection. And Paul says, all I want is to know the power of his resurrection and, and to have the righteousness that comes from him. And this is what happens. Um, because, again, look at, look at the aspects of this. One of the seraphim flew to me. He had in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, verse 7. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and, and your sin is atoned for. So Isaiah has received a transformational and, you know, and guilt expiating uh, work from God. And, and that's what enables him to minister. That's how he can kind of just actually start in the work that God's given him to do. Now, now this is critical in Isaiah because um, in the book of Isaiah, the, the prophet... One of, I mean, there's so many reasons why Isaiah is just such an amazing book. But one of the reasons is that, um, like Jeremiah, which we've been going through in the mornings, um, we really get a, a clear vision of the prophet himself. We see some of the dynamic between him and the Lord, although not as much as Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we really get more of that. But, you know, most of it is the prophet is, is speaking, you know... It, in a sense, he's speaking on behalf of the Lord. So when it's it's like when you're reading, um, you know, First Corinthians, and, and you might stand up and say, um, or, or or think to yourself, uh, this is you know God is speaking here, and He is. But you could also say Paul is speaking here, and and so there's that same dynamic in the Old Testament prophets. It's it's Isaiah, but it's really the Lord, but. But what Isaiah 6 shows us is there, you know, there is a difference. Because Isaiah actually, in order to be used by the Lord, had to be totally transformed by the Lord. So Isaiah, in other words, is in even though Isaiah is speaking to the people, and we're going to talk about the people in a minute in Isaiah 6, Isaiah himself needed to be transformed before he could even proclaim this, these things to the people. In essence, what we're going to see in um, the rest of the chapter, is that apart from, the, apart from the grace of God in Isaiah's life, and apart from the atoning, atoning and transformative work of God in Isaiah's life, Isaiah was in the same boat as the rest of the people. So if you were to ask, what do the people need? Um, as Isaiah preaches against them and challenges them, what do the people need? What the people need needed was the same thing that Isaiah needed, which was they needed salvation from God that um, atoned for their sins and transformed them by His grace. That's what they needed. And Isaiah, like we see Isaiah walk through. Okay, so questions about that? Comments about that? I know sometimes I get in this mode, particularly when I've like just preached. I'm about to preach, or I'm just going. So you gotta you gotta jump in if you, if you wanna um, if you wanna say anything, and it's totally fine. Can so, we not look at that as a gift of God? It is. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God entirely. And, and that's, I think, the whole thing. Isaiah couldn't have done this for himself. He had to have God do it. 
And it's what Paul says in Ephesians. It's a gift from God. So it's not, it's not something Isaiah could boast about. Which is a good reminder too. At no point in Isaiah's ministry, and really at no point in our lives, um, should we ever sort of think to ourselves, you know, this is, you know, I've done this. Because, no, even if, even if something real has happened, um, you know, the only reason it, it, God's using you is because of what he's done through you. It's a gift from him. So absolutely, I think that's exactly the right language. Although it's a painful gift, isn't it? I mean, it's a that transformation that Isaiah received. Um, uh, you know, his his sin is declared to be atoned for, but 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 also the burning coal touches his lips, and and that that doesn't leave you unchanged. Um, you, you know, and, and and again, I mean, not to belabor the point, but but sometimes we have a a doctrine of salvation, which is purely, you know, purely judicial. Like, so, okay, this was now declared. But but that's not how it is in the Bible, is it? It's, it's transformational as well. You know, you, you, don't, you don't encounter God and leave unchanged. You, you don't have a burning coal touch your lips and not, you know, not have that change you. So anyway, yes, it's all a gift, but it's a painful, painful one to some degree. Okay, um, so then, um, then there's this voice from the Lord that after Isaiah is transformed, after he's rescued by God, his guilt atoned for, the Lord asks, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah has this great declaration in verse 8, um, here am I, send me. Um, you know, it's really hard to know, uh, and, and a lot of times when you hear sermons on this, they'll take one side or the other, but it's actually pretty hard to know what, um, almost what tone of voice Isaiah was using. Um, so, so sometimes it's very much like, I, I, you know, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I want to do this. And then, and then sometimes you know, people read it a little more reluctantly on Isaiah's part. I mean, it doesn't say that he's reluctant, but, but, um, but I kind of think of it this way. I don't know. I don't know how Isaiah said this. I don't know what degree of confidence we would sense in his voice or what, you know, tone he would be using, but there's a sense in which I think, again, however he said it, the, the logic of it is, is what's pushing him forward. That if, if God just did this, God owns my life. Um, I I can't but volunteer because because he he's totally transforming and and also not only does God own my life, which really should be something that honestly every every Christian should say. Um, that's what Paul says all the time. What does he call? He calls himself. Most frequently, actually, he calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ, and he's not begrudging or, or you know, he loves that. Um, but, but um, you know, uh, the other thing though about it is not only does God own his life, but but what Isaiah is going to quickly realize, or, or he probably realizes it already by by the time we get to verse eight, is that um, it's just what we were talking about before. What it, what they need. 
chapters one through five, you know, this faithful city that's become a whore, he, he says. Um, what they need is exactly what he just got, exactly what he just received. So, so now he's just, there's a, so what I'm saying is the logic is what's pressing this forward. Isaiah knows he's owned by God. Isaiah also knows that this is the only solution if you really understand who God is. Uh, so, so he hears the Lord's voice, here am I, send me. And so then the Lord says, go. And here's what you're going to say. And I want to read the whole thing. And then we'll, we'll kind of pick it apart a little bit. Beginning in verse 9. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it shall be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Now, um, What's Isaiah told in verses nine through nine and ten that he's supposed to say, and that he's, his ministry is supposed to be about almost? What, what's his What's his ministry consist of? What's it gonna What's it gonna look like? How's it gonna How's it gonna play out according to nine and ten? Blind and deaf people. Yeah. This is, I mean, if you were a, you know, I, I deal with guys who are looking at church calls and they'll kind of get a profile of the church and here's what we're looking for. And I mean, this is not, you'd never, well, you never, you'd, no one would ever put this down, but you'd also never accept it, right? I mean, you, you wouldn't want this because because what, what Isaiah's told is, okay, thank you for volunteering, Isaiah. Here's what's going to happen. Um, you need to keep preaching. And the net effect of that is going to be they will not hear you. And, and you need to keep showing them visions because much of Isaiah is like that. It's sort of visionary. And, um, and they're not going to see it. So actually what's going to happen is they're going to keep hearing because you're going to keep preaching. And they're going to keep seeing, sort of, in a, in a superficial sense, but they're never going to perceive. And, and that, that's, that's the sum total of your ministry. Now, interestingly enough, this is not just a one-off. Jesus quotes this exact, this exact, these exact lines. Um, and so there's a, this, is not, this is not the first and only time that this is a ministry given to one of God's people. And that's really maybe troubling to us. Because for us, um, and, and this is often true in the age in which we live, so I'm not necessarily disparaging this, but for us, you know, faithfulness will equal a kind of, you'll see something, something will happen. If you're, if you're really being faithful, if you're, particularly if you're faithfully teaching and preaching, um, then, then, then good things will happen. And again, by God's grace, that is, I think, often the norm in, our, in, our, in, in, in the age in which we live. The Lord is very gracious to bless his word 
into but but there you know you never know and and it is also the case that Isaiah if at any point and I mentioned you know this morning that Calvin believes that Isaiah ministered for about 64 years and that you know that might be it might be 62 you know there's different ways to calculate but but you know a long time he ministered I mean, I mean, what, what Dr. Phelps is in your 15, 17, something like that, right? 64 years he preached. And at any point, if you had stopped Isaiah and said, hey, how's the church going? How's it going? Isaiah would have said, nothing. I mean, they're just, they just, they, they, they hear me, but they don't understand. They don't, they don't take it in. They're, they're not repenting. They're not changing. Sometimes they kind of let me, speak. Sometimes they don't, actually, in Isaiah. But sometimes they do. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the basic, the basic uh, template is failure, humanly speaking. But it's a reminder, isn't it, that, that, was, that God's purpose in this was actually to confirm them in, in the judgment that, that they had brought upon themselves. Now, you might say, well, how is that fair? Well, Remember, and again, this is why I think chapters 1 through 5, it's important that they came first. Because we know who these people are. And, um, and, 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 and again, it's true of everyone by nature. We're, we're bent away from God. And, and we're, we're, we're actively, you know, even if we use his name, we're actively by nature you know, working against what he, his his ways and his will, and so and these people have been doing that. They're offering sacrifices. They're going through the motions uh, ritually at this point. This is early on. Remember, this is the year the king Uzziah died. Um, so Uzziah is a good king, and they're doing the normal stuff, but their hearts aren't there. And so, what the Lord's doing is He's saying, "This is you know, this is it." And you know, this is also, I think, a very, a, a good example. We see this in the Pentateuch on two or three occasions. And, and, and by the way, this gets picked up in the New Testament too. Where, you know, the people didn't know what Isaiah was hearing right then. But, um, you know, in other words, the people probably thought, you know, yeah, we're messing around with idols and we're, we're, we're not really taking God seriously, but we're still going to the temple and, and we can sort of pull back whenever we want and we can, we can change and, you know, and, and, and what we read in Isaiah 6 is actually, actually, no, it's over. Like, you, you, it, this is done. It's, it's what happens in Numbers um, 14 and 15. Remember, remember the people at Kadesh Barnea? The Lord says, go up into the land. And they say, well, how about this? We'll send spies up. And they send spies up, and the spies come back, ten of them give a bad report, two give a good report, so they decide not to go. And the Lord says, that's it. You're never entering. And then, and then remember what they do right after that? They just try, they try to go in, and they say, well, hold on, we'll back, we get it. That was, you're right, we'll go. And, and, and they get totally defeated. And, and, and Psalm 95, if you remember, picks up on that, that great psalm of worship, and it says... Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did at my day in the wilderness. Because remember what the Lord said on that day, uh, surely they, have, they, they will not enter my rest. And um, 
And, 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 and then you think to yourself, okay, well, that's Numbers, that's Psalm 95. But remember, Psalm 95 is the key text, the sort of central text that the book of Hebrews uses. That he, that he talks about over and over. It's it, Jeremiah as well, but Psalm 95 is, is one of the key texts he uses. And, and Hebrews says it. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And, 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 and how does Hebrews end? The, the last part of the sermon is, you know, if they didn't escape who warned from earth, how are you going to escape who warns you from heaven? You know, it, it, today, if you hear his voice. So, so that's what I mean. You know, um, the people, it, this is now their ministry. You're going to have great preaching, and but in a sense, it's not going to make any difference because I'm going to send you one of the great preachers of all time. He's going to be speaking my very words, and you're not going to listen. So what, you know, how does that, you're, it's over. You're spiritually, like I've drawn a line in the sand. So it's very, you know, there's, there's, there's great, drama to this, but Isaiah certainly does not have an easy task because the Lord says, what I want to continue to kind of confirm in them is their own unbelief, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Because if they did turn, they would be healed. Um, so Isaiah asks a really natural question. He doesn't know it's going to last 64 years. And he kind of, I, I think Isaiah in the middle here thinks to himself, Oh, okay, so the first five years of my ministry are going to be like that. And then, you know, I'll persist, right? This is the story many people tell, uh, missionaries or pastors. You know, the first seven years is brutal. Nobody listened, half the people left the church. But then, you know, it sort of turned, and I was just trying to be faithful throughout. And it was wonderful things, and the Lord often does that. But Isaiah's saying, all right, so what is it, five years, seven years, ten years, when things are going to start to get better? No. Actually, here's when things are going to start to get better, Isaiah. Um, you're going to keep doing this until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. In other words, you're going to do this until the exile happens. Now this takes us all the way back to the history of Deuteronomy. Because remember in Deuteronomy 30, remember what Moses said to the people um, that... If you, if you forsake me, I'm speaking for the Lord, if you forsake me, then I'm going to bring all these curses upon you. And they're, you know, it's a long list of curses. The final one is they're going to, they're, people are going to come from a land that you don't even understand their language. And they're going to come in and they're going to take you out of the land that I'm placing you in. And, and, you're, and they're going to destroy you. And that, that, that's what I... So, so Isaiah, you know, Isaiah kind of drew the short straw here. He's got to be the preacher who, in a good time, preaches to people who are already spiritually dead, and, and he's got to do it until the exile happens. That's his, that's his ministry. Until cities lie waste without an that's And by the way, that verse 11, that, those are quotations from Deuteronomy 30. This is, this is what's going to happen. And the Lord removes the people far away, and the forsaken places are many, in the midst of the land. Um, you know, Jesus said that in this life you all have trouble. And Paul said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it's worth remembering that even though 
it may not be the case that we're called to this kind of life and to this kind of ministry. Um, there's a sense in which the ministry of judgment is always part of gospel proclamation. I mean, even Paul says this, we're an aroma of death to those who are dying, an aroma of life you know, to those who are being saved. So that's always a part of it. Even if, even if um, you know, in, in your life and in your, 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 your work with people, even if you see many, many good things, and the Lord blesses his word in many ways, and you're part of a church where you just see the word going forth clearly and you know, growing and people are being converted, even if all that's true, there's, all, there's always also an aroma of death component to it. It's just unavoidable. Because all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If they hated me, they will hate you, Jesus says. And so Isaiah's call is unique, but it's not, um, but, but there, are, there are implications for us today. Um, let me pause there at the end of verse 12. Um, questions, comments, feedback, pushback. Anything, I'll pause. Well, I hate to talk all the time, but... Um, no, no. You're, it is a welcome, a wonderful welcome addition. One of the reasons I wanted to come, I had done my own study of Isaiah, uh-huh. and it's like, this is a newspaper for the U.S. Yes. And and I used to think, because I grew up in a Christian environment, that uh-huh. and, I, and these things in the Bible, I, I would think, these can't happen because we, always, we already know if we do this, what's going to happen. Right. So it's not going to happen because right. we know better. Right. And today, and I feel like in my short life, look where we are. It's like people don't even believe the Bible, so it doesn't matter whether you tell them or not. They just right. Yeah, I know. And you know what's and what's you're right. And it's scary to see those parallels. And what's even scarier to me is to see that Isaiah, for most of his ministry isn't even talking to people who don't believe the Bible. As crazy as that is, right? And how just in a generation, we've sort of lost that basic understanding. But he's actually talking to people who would check the box that says, you know, whatever, whatever the box would say. You know, I'm, I'm in Judah. I go, to, I, I go to the temple in Jerusalem. You know, they're, they're believers. They would say, they would say that. They're not, actually. But they would say that. And, and that's the, that, the, the scarier part to me Though I don't disagree with what you're saying, the scarier part to me is to say, um, Isaiah's kind of speaking to the church and within the world and saying, no, this is you. I don't, the Lord doesn't even want your sacrifices anymore because you're the same as the world, right? So the world's this, they don't believe the Bible, but like, do you believe the Bible? And 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 that's a really, you know, that's a that that hits very close to home, right? Yeah, it's, it's very relevant, very contemporary. Other, other comments? All right, let's just, let's just um, see, see what the rest of this is. Um, look at verse 13. Though there, a tenth will remain, so I'm now, because of their sin, I'm chopping off 90%. That's the judgment, and they're not going to repent. But then there's going to be this tenth, this ten percent that I'm because God always preserves His people, and He promised to preserve them, and He and He will. But but the ten percent who are left, um, 
then I'm going to burn it again. So that 10% is not going through, uh, it's not going to immediately just turn around. I'm going to, there's going to be a remnant. And Isaiah is, is, is really one of the primary books in the Old Testament. It really is the primary book in the Old Testament where we get this idea of a remnant. Remember, remember when Paul says, and Paul's talking here about the Old Testament. Paul says, not all Israel is true Israel, but God preserved a remnant according to grace. Um, so in other words, Paul, I mean, Paul's, it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but Paul's just reading his Bible and saying, you know, not everybody, exactly what Isaiah knows, which is not everybody in Judah who checks off that box is really, is really in Israel. Um, and so there's this remnant, according to grace. And the Lord preserves this remnant, 10%. But it's not going to be easy for them either, because he's going to burn them again. And, and, um, and it's just going to be this charred stump, he says. That's how you need to think about it, this charred stump. But, but, look at this amazing, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Uh, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felt, the holy seed is its stump. And now you start to, I mean, now you should, all kinds of alarm bells should be going off in your, in your mind. Because this takes us not just back to uh, you know, Deuteronomy or something like that, although it does actually, but it takes us all the way back to you could go back to Genesis 12, where Abraham's seed is introduced. But you could actually even go back further to Genesis 3, because in Genesis 3.15, um, in the midst of, just after you know, the fall, and just after the, the, the curse, or actually in the midst of the curses, um, in the midst of those curses, but um, there'll be a seed, coming seed of the woman. And, and, and he, will, he will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. And so you kind of put that in your word bank as you're reading through your Bible. You know, if you knew nothing about the Bible, you should, like, write that one down. Okay, seed. And then you kind of trace it through. And you see, in, and then in Genesis 12, right after the Tower of Babel, where the whole earth is just arrayed against God, that's after the flood. Uh, God's already judged them, but they start over, and they're still sinners, and so they just corrupt uh, immediately. And 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 then and then the Lord gives more detail about His salvation, and He says uh, to Abraham, "It's going to be your seed, and and in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed." And then you know it, it expands on it more. But but here's what we get: we get this seed language here. The holy seed is its stump. Now, this is what's so interesting, too, about Isaiah. Um, it's Genesis 3.15. So we could say Genesis 3.15, this is the Messiah. But, but what you'll find in Isaiah, and I'll kind of, I mean, I, we, all got, we all have to go in a minute. So, so I'll, I'll, just, I'll just put this out there at the end. The seed is the Messiah, Genesis 3.15, we know that, Abraham's seed. But what we see in Isaiah is something profound that we see in the New Testament. Which is, in Isaiah, he'll, he'll sort of toggle back and forth between referring to 
the Messiah as the seed, or the Messiah as the branch, or the Messiah as the servant, right? Those are all terms that he uses for that singular figure that we know to be Jesus. And he'll also sometimes use those same terms, seed, branch, servant, to talk about this remnant by faith. You say, well, what's, that's confusing. What's going on? Why did, you know, it'd be easier if you just did one or the other. Ah, but, but the thing is, um, you know, in the New Testament, we talk about um, our salvation as, as being united to Christ through faith. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, Paul says. Um, and, and, and union with Christ is the, is the fountain out of which all the blessings of salvation flow. If you look for justification, you'll find we're justified in Him. We're sanctified because we're crucified with Him. We're going to be glorified in Him. You know, it's all in Him, Him and us language. It's, it's union with Christ the whole, the whole way through. And, and, and Isaiah, I don't think, has all that, you know, as tightly wrapped up as Paul does. But, but um, because, and the reason why I say that is because First Peter tells us that Isaiah, you try to understand the suffering and the glory. Or he didn't say Isaiah, but he said the prophets did. And, and, and Isaiah would be one of those. Um, but, but that union with Christ is there. So that, so that what we're going to find is that God's salvation of the remnant is going to be in and through the Messiah. And, 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 and so tightly connected are these two things that, 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 that their salvation comes in him. And, and he can be said to be in them. And just as today we'd say that's the essence of our salvation. That we are united to Jesus Christ. That's, that's why we can talk about justification, but, but, it, but it's also why it must be transformational. Why those images of the burning coal touching the lips, are, 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 we've got to get all of them. Because, because it, we're, this, this holy seed is the stump. And, 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 and so here, you come to Isaiah 6, so sometimes you can differentiate and say, okay, here he's talking about remnant, here he's talking about the Messiah. But this is one of those passages, and it's the central passage of the first a section of the book, 1 through 12. This is one of those passages where you say, I don't know if he's talking here specifically about the Messiah as the Holy Seed or specifically about the remnant as the Holy Seed. But you know what? By the time I get to the end of Isaiah, it could be either one and, it could, and, and he could speak of them interchangeably. So sometimes you know. I mean, Isaiah 53, you know. Uh, and sometimes you don't know. And sometimes you know it's remnant. But this is one of those ones where it's like, no, this is the whole Isaiah. What you're pre, who you're preaching for, and, and the, the outcome of your preaching, this generation, it, it's just going to be for judgment. But 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 far down the road, the outcome of your preaching and what I'm doing in your life as a as a prophet is is for this holy seed, these ones who are in union with the Messiah and are therefore. Um, inheritors of, of my promised blessings. So there's profound judgment, but also profound um, messages of salvation. I'm sorry, I'm over time. Let me pray. Lord, there's so much in your word, and we just really don't even get to scratch the surface, but nonetheless, we thank you for this time, and we pray that you would 
you would really impress these truths on us. We need you as our teacher, ultimately. And so, may we be like the blessed man in Psalm 1 who meditates on your word day and night and is like a tree planted by streams of water. Uh, Father, thank you for this, and thank you especially for the pointers towards your son. And we, we, we ask you to glorify him as we think on these things in his name. Amen.